0: amen amen looks like everyone's back you know people coming back from the holidays i know so it's just great to uh, see all of you and great to see a, a pretty full house here so i want to continue to encourage you to just invite your friends and invite your neighbors uh to our this this time of year it's just a great time especially if you have co-workers people that you know have questions about christ i think scac is just a great place to explore those questions as well all right can you believe it's only eight days away from christmas Pretty good, right? Yeah, we could woo for that, of course, you know. It's awesome. Eight days away from Christmas. And I hope that this particular series that we've been going through as well has also helped you to uh, really get into the Christmas spirit, not just that of consumerism, right, of course, but really understanding it is God who has come to us. And that's what this series is about, Christ the Newborn King. And we have these particular those three icons there. You have the manger, if you didn't know what that was, it wasn't just an X and someone put a t- something on the top. It's actually a manger, and then a cross, and then, and then um, the crown. And so the manger, that was our very first week. And we talked about that when God does something big, he starts small. And then the next week we talked about the cross. And we looked at John chapter 1, which is an interesting place to look at because it's so different from the other gospel Christmas stories. And John ties in the birth and the coming of Jesus all the way back to Genesis 1. And what we saw was so amazing there. What the Christmas story tells us is that God's intention for the world was still intact and that God's intention for our lives is still intact, that fellowship, that unbroken fellowship with us. And so today we got to the, getting to the crown section. We're getting to the king section. So we're going to begin with a question today, Simple very simple question is this who is the king of your life who is the king of your life right now every single one of us we all have a heart that drives us there is a primary motivator for us what is the primary motivator in which you see the world what gets you up each morning what governs how you relate to your boss to your spouse to your coworker? What governs how you relate to your parents? What governs your thoughts as you drive during the Christmas traffic on 405? What governs how you relate to authority? What governs how you communicate to your spouse? How you relate to the opposite sex? Who you choose to date? What governs how much you spend or where you live? Or maybe it's not just a a thing or just a what or a who, Maybe what governs you is a particular emotion. Is it sadness? Is it despair? Is it depression? Is it insecurity, joy, fear, jealousy? Whatever it is, who or what is at the center of your heart? Who is the king of your life? Now, this is really important because on your outline, whatever is king of your heart, whatever is king of your heart, that will actually govern your actions. Who or whatever is king of your heart governs your actions, and your actions will create your future. That's why this question is so important. Now, we all kind of know how powerful this is. For example, if you've ever seen maybe like a junior high school person, like a guy, a junior high guy, or a junior high girl, uh, you know, or a high school guy, once they're a, a guy, especially once, once if, he, if he's in love, right? Because a junior high boy or a high school guy he will actually change his life completely when he's in love, right? He will actually start dressing up. He might even stop playing video games. Like, you know, you know that's a big deal if they stop playing video games. A junior high guy might even take a shower. He might even take a shower more than a week if he finds someone that he really thinks is is really amazing. Same thing with girls, right? When a girl falls in love, right, she starts being interested in sports that she wasn't interested in before. All of a sudden, why? Because her boyfriend a person that she likes is interested in sports. And so she starts going to the basketball game. She starts going to the football game. She's screaming touchdown at the basketball game, right? Why? Why does she do all that? Because someone else, and we've all been there before, because someone else is ruling their heart. And when that something or someone else is ruling your heart, it's like you can become a completely different person, can't you? It's really interesting. And so, what's interesting is that in the story of Christ, the newborn king, it is actually filled with stories or peoples of, of kings. There's all these kings in these stories, and they're all, they're all kings of their own heart. They're all kind of ruling their own lives. And it's just interesting. You have King Herod. You have, king, uh, you have Caesar Augustus, the first Roman emperor. You have the mysterious kings from the east who have come uh, to worship and to find this newborn king of the Jews. You even have Joseph and Mary. And Joseph and Mary, although they are not kings, they are kings in their own lives. And you have all of these particular kings. And then what happens is that Christ, the newborn king, enters into the world and seems to interrupt, disrupt everything. And, of course, babies. Right, we know that babies. When babies are born, that babies are the king of the home. Right, babies are the king of the castle because when they cry, you have to do something. When they cry, you have to feed them. When they cry, you have to burp them. When you have to cry, you have to hold them. When they cry, you have to put them down. When they cry, you know they have to change his poopy diaper. And even your in-laws, right? Even your in-laws will serve the baby king. Isn't that amazing? You didn't think they would serve anyone, but they will serve the baby king and when baby jesus came it's the same thing for his household but for baby jesus when he came to the world he also threatened herod's throne this baby jesus so intrigued foreign rulers foreign academias foreign uh, these called these magi there was these rulers these academias these philosophers that they committed years of their life to the study of astronomy and to the study of biblical prophecy all to figure out when they could meet this biblical this coming king the arrival of Jesus directly challenged all the kings in the Christmas story and God still does that today so we're going to look at three particular kings there's more in the story but i just thought we'd look at three particular kings to understand how this applies into our life. Because whoever or whatever is king of your heart governs your actions, and your actions create your future. And so what you need to know up front is this, is that God is the king of your best future. God is the king of your best future. Now, when you think about your future... I think Christians, sometimes we have this odd relationship with what's called the future. But when you think about your future, some of you are set in your future. You've got purpose and plans today that you believe will shape your particular future. You're studying something. You're on a certain career path. You have certain goals. You're getting a certain education. And your future is very clear. But there's some of you also here today where there's certain aspects of your life. When it comes to the future, it's very uncertain. You look at a particular relationship in your work, maybe with your boss, and it's not going so well. You're not really sure your future at the company. Maybe you have a particular entrepreneurial you know, company that you're doing, or a relationship with your, with your co-owner, and that's not going so well. And you're not sure where that's going to end. This future is uncertain. You and your spouse are going through a difficult season. You're not exactly sure. Where are you going to be in two years, in five years? Are we going to make it? Maybe a relationship with your kids is going through a rough patch. You're not exactly sure where our intimacy is going to be in a couple of months. Where is it in your life where there are different aspects of your future that you are completely, totally unsure of? And what you need to know up front of this is that God is the king of your best future. So let's look at this, look at a couple of kings and see how God entered into their lives, what they did, what their reactions were, what kind of future was being brought out for them. So the first one, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Three kings. The first king we're going to look at today is King Herod. King Herod. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, says this After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Of course, Herod is thinking, You're looking at him. And we'll get into a little bit more about Herod. But Herod was not a good king. Herod was not a nice king. He was not a just king. But when the Magi came and said, where's the one born king of the Jews? Herod was the king of the Jews. And so he says, you're looking at him. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Oh, you're talking about someone else. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was disturbed because it was a threat to his own kingship and all Jerusalem with him. The reason that King Herod was disturbed was, of course, that the Magi came and said, Where is this other king? And so he was disturbed. And when he found out, when all of Jerusalem found out what had happened, they were disturbed because King Herod was disturbed. We'll find out why in a second. Verse 7 Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go. And search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Of course, Herod had very different intentions about this child. Verse 9 After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother. Mary, and they bowed down. These kings, they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When King Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So the Magi come a little bit late. They're not actually at the manger scene. And if you were to ask Herod in this moment, who is the king of your life? Herod would answer, probably in a very angry tone, I alone am the king of my life. I alone reign supreme in my life. Now, what's important, too, is to understand that this King Herod is a historical figure. This is historical narrative right now. This particular figure is someone that's recorded in history outside of the Bible. We know that Herod was appointed by the first Roman ruler, Augustus. And so we have Roman records. This is not once upon a time. This is not... In a galaxy far, far away, Herod was appointed by the Roman Emperor Augustus. Herod was known for his massive building programs in Jerusalem, including the Second Temple, massive government buildings, massive palaces. He had a vision for the future of Jerusalem, and he implemented it. And what historians would say, again, not even biblical historians, is just, you know, what's the documentation that's out there, scholars, historians that are out there, is that this particular king, this Herod, was, in a sense, one of the greatest kings because he brought Jerusalem, with his unprecedented building program, he brought Jerusalem to one of the heights of influence and of wealth and of status uh, during their historical, during this time. But he did it, The way he did it was off the backs of the poor. He did it off crushing taxes and, of course, slavery. And he murdered anyone that got in his way. For example, he murdered his first wife. (laughs) He murdered his first son because his son got too popular. He murdered his second wife, and he murdered several of his other sons because they all got more popular than he did. He murdered 46 of the leading rabbis of his day because he saw them as a threat to his power. Even Augustus, the first Roman emperor, said this of Herod, It is better to be Herod's dog than one of his own children. Anyone that became a threat to his power, he had bumped off. That's why when you read this particular passage of what he did to this tiny, tiny village of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was an obscure village. There was probably maybe like 20 families there that, you know, at the most that, that lived. And so when you hear this story of like, no, no, a person wouldn't do that. A king wouldn't really do that. A person wouldn't really kill all these babies. No, this is King Herod. He had his own kids this is a historical record. So when you read this and you understand the historical background, you're like, oh yeah, this makes total sense of the slaughter of what's called the slaughter of the innocents of what he did. And it was because we know that his character and personal ambition and pride were at the center of his heart. He was the king. He was the king. Now, when we look at Herod, we're like, no, no, I, you know, I, I'm not like that. I'm not that bad of a king, but I would just suggest that we all have just a little bit of Herod in us. That there's a part of us where we all want our kingdom and we just all want it our way. I mean, just in the simple things. One time, Mia and I we were just hanging out in my room. We were, we were just sitting and we were just talking and we were listening to some music, or I had some, some music that I was listening to. And uh, she told Alexa, because we have Alexa in our room, you know, Alexa, start playing something else. And I said, no, Alexa, change it back. And then we just fought a little bit. And I said, look, Mia. This is my room, okay? I get to listen to what I want to listen to. Mia, I'm the kingdom. I, I own this kingdom, you know? I'm the king of my room, okay? So when I'm the king of my room, I get to listen to what I want to. When you're in your room, you can do whatever you want because that's your kingdom, okay? But this room is my kingdom. And then that was end of discussion, right? So a little bit later in the day, you know, I went to Mia's room. I was like, Mia, your room is a mess. I said, clean your room. She says, no. You're in the kingdom of Mia. (laughs) I get to do what I want to do. I'm like, dang it. But we all have a little bit of that Herod in us that we want to do what we want to do. We want things to be our way. Now, the problem is that when you get an adult, be an adult, the consequences can be a little bit higher. Things can be a little more dangerous. And what we learn here is that, man, you might, because of your strength and your intelligence, your intellect and your drive, you know what? You might be able to build a really mighty kingdom all by yourself. But it might be the wrong kingdom. And you might do it off the backs and off the pain of others. It might be just the wrong one. All right. The second kingdom is this. The second kingdom is the kingdom of Joseph. And he is the husband of Mary, or to be engaged. He's engaged to Mary. And, of course... Joseph, we know, Joseph was not a real king, all right? He didn't have a throne or anything like that. But he was, like all of us are, we are the kings in our own life. And for a man, there's no day that I can think of where you feel more like a king than on your wedding day. Or in that engagement period, you just feel like a king. And the way, the day of your wedding, you know, you're the most handsomely dressed guy in the room. All eyes and attention are are on you until the bride walks in, of course. You are the man. All your groomsmen tell you, you're the man, right? And engagement and marriage are such a big deal for us. You feel like a king that day. Now, back in first century Palestine, it was an even bigger deal than it was today. Because if you were engaged to be married in first century... It was the social and practically the legal equivalent of actually being married. So engagement, socially and legally, equals marriage. In the same way, if you were to break off that engagement, no one would say, oh, you broke off the engagement like they did today. They would actually use their term for divorce. So if there was a break in the engagement, it is the same thing today as socially and legally getting a divorce. So this is what happens Look what happens when Christ the newborn king he crashed Herod's throne. Now Christ the newborn king is going to crash Joseph's wedding plans. Here's what happens in Matthew chapter 1 beginning at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, he was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph her husband was faithful to the law. In other words, he was a godly man. He he was a good man. For any fathers in here, if you have a daughter, this would be a guy that you would be like, yeah, I would want my daughter to marry because he's such a good guy, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, Again, this says a lot here, and you need a little bit of the kind of cultural and historical background, but this says a lot about Joseph. When it says that he's faithful to the law, it means that he was a very practicing, faithful, observant Jew. And when it says that he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, you see, because of what happened, because, you know, Mary said, I'm, I'm pregnant, Joseph, it's not your baby, and Joseph says, yeah, I know, we haven't been together, Right? And so Mary's coming with this story that nobody would believe. No one would believe this story. Nobody did believe. Even Joseph didn't believe this story. And so he had in mind that he was going to divorce her quietly. Now, what Joseph could have done is to expose her publicly because he had every right to do that according to the Mosaic law. He could have her labeled as an adulterer. He could have, if he wanted to, had her stoned if he wanted to. But it says, this is the kind of person that Joseph was. He was a good guy. He was a godly guy. He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had this other plan. He says, there's a lot of drama going on. And I don't want to do this to Mary. And I don't want to do this to myself. I'm going to divorce her quietly. So if you were to ask Joseph, like, who's the king of your heart? Who's the king of your heart? What's guiding you? He would say, God is the king of my heart. and I, the king of kings the Lord of lords. Yet, when Christ, the newborn king, enters Joseph's kingdom, Joseph wants to divorce himself from God's plan. And you find at the center of Joseph's heart is this idea. I just want a nice, normal, polite kingdom with a no-drama future. That's where Joseph was. That's what the king, of, king is of his heart. This idea, I just want a nice, Normal, polite kingdom with a no-drama future. Again, how do we know this about Joseph? It's because in those words, he wanted to divorce her quietly. And if you were a first-century Jew and you were reading this, you would, uh, that, that Joseph wanted to divorce her quietly, you would be rolling your eyes and you would be laughing on the floor. Because in their culture, there is no such thing as a quiet divorce. It is impossible. And the fact that he comes from this very small town called Nazareth, where everyone knows each other, half the town is related in some way, everyone knew they they were already engaged. If they got divorced, it would be the scandal of Nazareth. It would be the top story on TMZ for months. Neither of them would want to be seen in public because of the social shame and disgrace Gossip, rumors, bad-mouthing, judgment, condemnation would follow them the rest of their lives. But Joseph, in his mind, he actually thinks he can get away with this. He actually thinks he can divorce her quietly and get back to his life. See, because Joseph, he was such a good guy, and he wanted a nice, normal God and a nice, normal kingdom, polite, responsible, no drama wedding, because at the center of his heart was being normal. At the center of Joseph's heart was pleasing others. At the center of Joseph's heart was being a socially acceptable God follower. And he thought he could have all of that back by quietly divorcing Mary. It's impossible. Now, what's interesting is this. When King Herod, right, King Herod, not a God follower, sees that God's plan does not fit into his life, he decides he's gonna kill God. King Joseph, a godly man, sees God's plan doesn't fit into his plan, so he decides he's going to ignore God. So if you're if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you're you know you're here checking things out. If you're not a Christian or kind of ever Maybe you've met other Christians. And, and sometimes Christians, we can come off as like, you know, we're always like in the will of God or, you know, we're following the will of God. What I want you to know from this where we are at the point of the story so far is that Christians have just as hard of a time following God as those who aren't religious. It's sometimes just as hard, of, hard for us to follow God than those who follow say they follow no God. We have just as hard of a time. And, and for us as Christians... Have you noticed this? Have you noticed that when God shows up in your life, when God seems to want to do something, you get that tinge that maybe God is in this, that it feels more like an interruption than a well-laid-out plan? Have you noticed that when God seems to show up in your life sometimes, it's not as if God checked your Google calendar? Like, oh man, she's got a two-week opening. I can get myself in there. I can do something. Oh man, he's got a free weekend. you know, I can get his attention. God just doesn't seem to work that way, right? It almost seems like when God enters our life or wants to do something new, it almost seems like God has no regard for our feelings, that he has no regard for what other people think of us by some actions he may want us to take. He may not be concerned about our public embarrassment or my reputation. What seems to matter to God is that his will and his highest good is so good that we might think that we might want to get on board with his plan, that we might actually believe that God also is the king of our best future that will bring about the highest good and the greatest glory to God. Now, but it's hard. It's hard sometimes to follow the will of God or even being sure if he is, because sometimes God's plan doesn't feel like a good plan. Sometimes God's plan in your life, it doesn't feel like a good plan because that's what Joseph was. And Joseph, he was about to get married. And if there's one place in your life where you feel like God is really working in your life is when you have a spouse, when you have someone who said they are going to spend the rest of your life with you. We choose each other. That's like a God thing. And yet it all seems to be falling apart right now because Joseph has plans to divorce because this can't possibly be God's plan I feel for Joseph. I-, I-, I know where he's been. And because when-, when Angel and I, when we met, right, and when we started dating, we were friends for about nine years first. And when I had the nerve, finally, after nine years, it took me that long. When I had the nerve to have the DTR, right, the DTR that defined the relationship, okay, when I had the nerve to do that, And I told her how I felt about her. She told me how she felt about me. Things are mutual. Why wouldn't they be? No, just kidding. Um, But um, she said, and I thought everything was good. And she said, not everything's good. She said, we have a problem. She said, my problem is my dad. I was like, what do you mean, your dad? Because her dad and I were friends. We were part of a small church, a Korean church. And so we did everything together. We worked together. We cleaned up the church together. I mean, We did all these things together. Her father and I were good friends. But she said, no, the problem is that my dad, he doesn't want any of us to, like, date non-Korean. But I just said, well, I'm Chinese, close enough, right? And we all come from China anyway, right? Don't we all come from China, you know? Um, But but I just knew that with Angel and I, you know, dating and then our feelings were mutual, and I just think, how can a beautiful, godly woman, you know, love someone like me. You know, you're just thinking God is in this, right guys? You just know that it's a miracle that God is with you. And so I had no doubt that I could win her father over. I had no doubt because God was in this. God was just going to pave the way for us. It would just be easy. And so I did what I knew you had to do, especially for a Korean father, dressed up in my suit, best suit, okay, made plans to meet with him, went to the Asian grocery store, I bought the most expensive set of fruit Asian pears that I could find, all right? By the way, that is the secret. And um, it, it really is, it really is, because I've met with so many young couples, whether they're pre-engaged or you know, they, just got, they just got married, and whenever there's a problem, especially with the husband, with the in-laws, you know, the parents, and I always ask them, I said, you know, when you go over there, I just asked, did, did you bring fruit? Did you, did you bring fruit? And they're like, no, what fruit? I'm like, noob, man, noob. <laughs> Asians, you gotta bring the fruit. Not the Safeway bag fruit, no. Not, I don't care if it's organic. You, every time, you've gotta go and get the expensive box of fruit. Every time you go to meet your in laws, bring the fruit, okay? That will just pave the way for a relationship for years and years. To come. Now, so I brought the fruit and at the door, and I knew this was going to go good. I was like, Angel, I got this. And so went there and I talked to her, talked to her dad. And as we were talking, things were not going the way of Christ. They just weren't. I was just getting no after no after no. And he came back to the, it just came back to this one statement where he made it was just one of those moments where he just laid it down, like, boom, this is it, Roy. I have told my kids they are not to marry non-Korean. And that was it. Boom. That was it. In that moment, everything that I thought was the will of God did not feel like the will of God. In that moment that where I was so certain that everything was leading up, everything was surrounded to the will of God. In that moment, it did not feel like God's plan for my life. Furthest from it. I mean, I started questioning everything. In that moment, I started questioning everything. God, what did I do? Did I, is this you? Are you still here? Did I misinterpret? Did I not see the sign? Did I fail to discern correctly? I mean, everything was just falling apart in that moment. Because sometimes in our immaturity, we tend to think that when God is going to show up in your life, He's going to make things easier. We tend to think that when God is going to show up in your life, he's just going to kind of clear the path for all these blessings that are supposed to come your way and you're going to be filled with all these emotions and feelings of love and he's just going to provide for your every need. Isn't that what God is supposed to do? Look, God isn't here just to make things easier for your kingdom. He's here to make you holier. And God isn't here just to be about building your small little kingdom. He's here to invite you to be part of building his kingdom. And what was more difficult after that moment was that angel, that her dad would not speak to her for the next six months. Not a word because of what happened. They were a close-knit family. And he would not speak to her for the next six months. So, So what do you do? I mean, that's the dilemma for us as Christians, right? Because when you're faced with a future that's uncertain, and maybe you thought God was in it or not, you're not sure, and you figure out how to discern it. How do you step into these things? How do you respond? That's our last king. Actually, it's not a king. It's really a queen, Mary, Luke chapter 1. What's really interesting is that she's in the exact same predicament as Joseph, Right? She's in the exact same predicament. She's getting this word from the angel that she's going to be impregnated, right? That she's going to have, you know, this, uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon her and that the child is going to be, you know, the, the, the Messiah. She's in the same predicament with Joseph, but she's actually, of course, more vulnerable. Because here's the thing. If Mary is divorced in that culture, it's unlikely that she'll ever marry again because nobody believes that the baby's from the Holy Spirit. Everyone just thinks she's crazy. She'll be branded an adulteress. She could be stoned in public. She'll be branded as crazy. Most likely, she'll be disowned by her parents and live the rest of her life in poverty. That's what she's faced with. Now look at her response. Luke chapter 1, beginning verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. At this, verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled. When Herod knew that God was coming, he was troubled. Joseph was troubled. Mary was troubled. If God is doing something, a great plan, something in your life, it's very normal for all of us to be troubled, to have fear, to be unsure of what's going on. At his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, verse 30. But the angel said to her, "Do not be afraid." And that's a word for all of us when it comes to an uncertain future, but with a God who controls the future. Is do not be afraid. You need not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. That's the second time that the angel has used this particular word, favor. What does favored mean? It means to be greatly blessed. God is inviting her into something, to be a part of something, and he says this is God's favor upon your life. Sometimes we misunderstand. Sometimes God's blessing isn't what you're receiving We tend to think that it's when we receive something, when we get something from God, when we get something from the universe, when something good happens our way, oh, that's the blessing. It's like getting a gift, receiving a gift. I'm so blessed because I have so many tangible gifts in my life. Sometimes what you need to understand is that the blessing isn't in getting the job. It isn't getting the bonus. It isn't the purchase of a new car or home. Sometimes the blessing isn't that you got all straight A's or that you found the love of your life. Sometimes God's blessing is inviting you to be a blessing to others. Sometimes God's blessing is inviting you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. That's what's happening to Mary in that she is highly favored. Sometimes God's blessing means inviting you into the difficult journey so that life might be significantly better and easier for others. See, I think we confuse blessing With receiving something, when Jesus stated clearly, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's no greater blessing than to give your life, not to take your life. There's no greater blessing than to give your life under the lordship of Jesus Christ, the newborn king. There's no greater blessing than to give your life towards the purposes of Christ the new-born king. The angel flips it around. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary, she has a lot of questions. Of course, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. For no word from God will ever fail. And this is her reply to this crazy upside-down plan that God has for her life. Things are going to overturn her life. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. And here it is. Here it is. These next words. Is how we know who the king is of Mary's heart. She says this, let it be, let it be unto me according to your word. God, whatever you was, just let it be. Let it happen. Whatever your plan is, let it be. Let it be unto me. Whatever you say, God, let it be unto me. Whatever is happening in my life, God, let it be unto me. God, whatever your will is, let it be unto me. God, whatever you've allowed even to into my life, God, let it be unto me. Now, with that one, I don't want you to get confused because this verse has been grossly misinterpreted over the years. Let it be unto me is not sober resignation of your circumstances. I don't know, something bad has befallen me or I'm in a bad situation, so I'll just let it be. I'll just let this Horrible circumstances wash over me. You know, I guess I'm just a failure. I just don't cut it. I deserve, you know, these bad circumstances. Or I'll just wait on the Lord to do something new. I'll wait on the Lord to to give me a job. Let it be unto me is not sober resignation where it's like my life is just horrible and I deserve this and I won't do anything about it because I'll just let God's will rule and reign in my life. Let it be unto me. No, let it be unto me is courageous acceptance. It is courageous acceptance. Do you hear what Mary is saying? She's saying, look, I know all of the hardship that now is coming into my life. I know this is going to be painful. People are going to look at me and think I'm crazy. People are going to look at me and think the worst about me, that I was an adulteress. And it's not just gonna be for me, it's gonna be for my parents. It's gonna affect my parents. It's gonna affect my fiance. This is going to be the most crazy, the most difficult season for me, but I still know and believe that it's God's season. I know this is going to test me. I know that God's will is gonna test me, but you know what? I'm gonna be all in with what God is doing. I want God's will to be done, not mine, because I know that I'm a king, but I'm not the king. And I trust that God is the king of my best future. So not only will it bless me in the end somehow, it's going to bless others. It's going to bless the world. And so God be king in me. God rule and reign through me. And so in this difficult situation of whatever God's bringing to your life where it's like it is what it is, it feels like it is what it is moment, it's not good. In that moment, God, I am going to bring the best of me. God, I'm going to bring the best faith in me. I'm going to bring my strength that I know is weakness, but in Christ, it's enough strength. It's strength. I'm going to bring grace. I'm going to bring faith. I'm going to bring vision. So God, let it be unto me because I'm ready for whatever you have in store for me. Amen? Let it be unto me. is not sober resignation. It is I moving forward in strength to the will of God in my life, no matter what it is, even if it looks like a it is what it is moment. And the belief and faith is that God can take an it is what it is moment to a wow it is moment. That's the best I could come up with, right? He'll take an it is what it is moment to a wow it is moment. It's the belief that God can do that. And he doesn't do that by you just passively accepting your circumstances. He says, I'm actively going to engage in what God is doing. Because see, when I got the word, That Mr. Kim would not allow our relationship to move forward. It was that moment where I could be like, okay, if this, God, are you in this? Are you not here? And they have a close family. I didn't want to break it up and do stuff. But, you know, in in my own kingdom, in my own herodness, I could have done this. Well, you know what? We're adults. And we are the masters of destiny of our own lives. Who are you to be king over me? You're not the boss of me, right? And we could do what some of my other friends did, and they go to the Justice of the Peace, or they go to Las Vegas, and they got eloped and things like that. And I was like, God, you want me to do that? Or let it be unto me means that we had to build up our faith to restrain ourselves. Let me say that again. We had to build up our faith. We had to build up our faith in order to restrain ourselves. Because there's so much of wanted our own kingdom and to do our own thing and to move things on. But we needed to believe that God was in this, that God had not departed. And that God was going to do something in our lives so that there could be, that we could come together if we really believed. And so we had to strain ourselves. And so, you know, Angel, you know, she, she took the, the brunt of it, you know, of her parents being angry with her and some of her relatives would, you know, tell her and try to convince her, you know, break up with Roy and, you know, because you, you, appease your dad and things like that. But she never said anything bad back, and we didn't move forward in our relationship. We didn't, like, do all this stuff and make all these plans for the future and kind of throw our relationship in its face. No, we were very respectful and say, God, we believe that if we act in an honorable way, God, that you will honor us. That's just faith. That's just faith. God, we believe that if we act in an honorable and faithful way, that God, somehow, some way, you're going to honor us, and that is exactly what we did. And so, it was, it was about Again, six months later, and they were at a cheesecake factory for Father's Day, and not a word to Angel in the last six months. And his one, his first words to Angel after six months were, "Do you love Roy?" Those were his first words after six months. That's all he's been stewing about, right? Do you love Roy? And she said yes. Why not, man? Of course, why not? Okay, stop. I need to stop that. You know, I always do that. I need to stop that. Um, and then he said this. He said, well, what can I do? You know what can I do means? What can I do also means let it be unto me. What can I do? Let it be unto me. That's where it's going. That's the situation. I'm going to bring all of my faith. And today, today, there's a lot of people that I appreciate, a lot of people that have prayed for me over the years and as a pastor and just as a person. But to this day, Angel's dad is the one person In my life that I know prays for me every day. Every day. If you're not familiar with the Korean culture and the Korean church and going to prayer meetings early in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, doing that every day, Angel's Father to this day is the one person I know that prays for me every single day. Let it be unto me. Let it be unto me. I know that God can take a situation of a what it is where it feels like, mean, God, if this is your plan, count me out. God can change that what it, it is what it is to a wow it is. And so the question today as we leave is two questions. In what present situation are you wrestling against the will of God? In what present situation are you wrestling against the king of the universe, the king of all good wills, who has your best future in mind? Where are you saying no to God? No, God, I'm just going to do it my way. No, God, I'm think i not going to think about then. No, God, I'm going to be focused on me. No, God, I'm not going to love. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to, no, God, no. This is my kingdom. That's kind of an obvious area for some of you. But there's a, a more subtle one, is what difficult circumstance are you misinterpreting as an absence of God's favor? is huge let me say that one more time what difficult circumstance in your life are you misinterpreting like that that's too crazy that's too messed up that's too much drama you've misinterpreted that as an absence of god's favor you got you can't possibly there and what we need to come to today is that we can't control god and we can't control our circumstances but we can control with faith how we receive them And you're going to do it either with sober resignation, which is really just giving up. That's not what Mary did. That's not what let it be unto me means. Let it be unto me is courageous acceptance. God, let it be unto me. God, give it to me because I am ready to take it full on. Give it to me because you are the mighty king and you have my best future. You have my best future in mind. So what's it going to be? What's it going to be this Christmas? Who's going to be the king of your life? Who's going to be the king of your work? Who's going to be the king at home? Who's going to be the king of your finances, of your career? There are some of you here today where God is calling you away from a traditional kind of Joseph lifestyle of what's polite and conventional and correct, and God is calling you to the unconventional. There may be some of you where your life has been really lived along the unconventional, and God is calling you into the, to the traditional. And you're holding on to the security of the past because you fear the freedom of the future. You fear the freedom where God's will for you is open wide. And it's hard to have those bearings of, where are my anchors? And all you have is faith, and all you have is belief that God is the king of your best future. So what is it going to be? let it be unto me according to your let it be unto me according to your will god here's one last one this one's a little bit less obvious but some of you here today and maybe you're you're still checking out this religion thing and still trying to understand god some of you are fighting against the embrace of god some of you are fighting against the embrace of god fighting against the personal love of god I have a friend back in Maryland. He has nine adopted kids, all right? They have one of those 12-passenger vans. That's their commute, commute car, all right, you know? And I just remember one of the stories you tell me is that when you adopt these kids sometimes is that they're so not used to love, and they have these temper tantrums, and what you have to do is you have to hug them. You have to, like, squeeze them, and they're going to be, like, beating on you, and, you know, they're going to be, um, you know, scratching your eyes out, just crying on you, just wailing at you. And what you're supposed to do is you're just supposed to hug them until they exhaust themselves And they fall into the arms of love because they're so used to not receiving love. They just don't want it. They're just uncomfortable with it, not sure. And when they're kids, when they're exhausted, they exhaust it in the arms of love. That's when they start feeling the healing embrace of what real love is. That's what some of you are. You're fighting against God. You're like beating against the chest of God in his warm embrace. He's got his embrace around you, but you won't have it And you say things to God, no, you don't love me or I'm not worthy of your love or I failed you so many times and yet God is steady in his arms because neither height nor depth, heaven or earth, angels or demons, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Stop fighting against God. Let him love you. Let it be unto me. Let God love you. Let him forgive you completely. Let God accept you. Where are you fighting against God? You can say, Let it be unto me. I'm a king. I know I'm a king. I'm the king of my own universe. I know a king. I'm a king. But there is a king greater than me. I know that I have a kingdom, but there's a kingdom greater than mine. I am a king, but I choose, I choose in this day to say that I am the Lord's servant. Let it be unto me. Let's pray. Yeah, God, thank you so much uh, for this morning that we can all be together. And thank you for Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who would have the audacity just to break into this world, break into our lives, believing, believing that his goodwill would actually be worthy of overriding our own small wills. And so we kind of, we want to come today, Father, as a people that are humbled, humbled, and trusting and Lord knowing that your will is greater than mine that I'm a king but I'm not the king and so I just pray for us father today as this your spirit is applying this in our lives and where are we fighting against you where we have we misinterpreted some really tough circumstances and we've misinterpreted that as being that it's an absence of your favor when it's through the difficulty and it's through our sacrifice that you are making something completely new. Help us, Father, to be a people of strength and of faith, to say, let it be unto me. I am the Lord's servant. So whatever circumstance is difficult in our lives, whether it's a relationship with our spouse or our kids, whether it's through certain circumstances that are so difficult it makes us just want to break away from faith or it makes us just want to to believe that you're not in this god may we know that we have the spirit in us that gives us the faith and the strength to say let it be unto me whatever comes my way i will stand firm and the belief in the goodness and the will of god that god's best intent for me that, that the future is held father in your hands and so i will follow you i will be restrained from doing things that would not be in line with your will. And God, I will be empowered to do the loving thing, to do the sacrificial thing, to do the honoring thing. Because I believe that you can take an is-what-it-is moment and you can change it into a wow-it-is moment. Because you are the king of my best future. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Let's all stand. Let's sing together.